and I'm just going to pray for you. <laughs> Father, I thank you for Rach. I thank you um, for her service. I thank you for the word that you have given her this morning. And Lord, I just pray your anointing over her. I pray that you put your words on her heart that you want us to hear. Um, yeah, Lord, I pray um, that you'll just guide her through this morning, Lord. Amen. Thanks, Phoebes. So, I am Rachel. I've been a part of City Church for almost 12 years, having uh, married into it 12 years ago this summer, which is a bit mad. <laughs> um, I love the subject of worship. Um, worship has been, in terms of sung worship, corporate worship has been something I've been involved in for, oh, I did the maths, 20 years because I am getting old. But <laughs> it is something that I'm really passionate about. I love seeing people released in worship and whether that's practically speaking, leading teams, leading, uh, leading sung worship or whatever that looks like. I love it. I was given this topic of being a worshipping people a few months ago. And um, another little insight into what I'm like, uh, I used it as an opportunity to get all of the books off our shelves that I've read over the years and was very grateful to past me who loves a good annotation and a highlight in a book. So I was trawling through our books. Um, and basically this subject is massive and there is no way we could cover that in 20 minutes. So as I was thinking and reading and praying, I um, was really wrestling with this subject. But I... Another little thing about me is I love running, and um, I'm not very good at it, but I enjoy it. And um, as I was running in the last few weeks and months, I just, my, I just noticed my attention kept being drawn to really dry places, and the fact that often when I'd go on a run, the ground was so cracked and so dry. Um, so these are a couple of photos I took on a sneaky run. Um, and I just, yeah, I just had a sense that what does it look like to worship in a season that is dry and you're not feeling it and um, things just feel a bit barren. Um, the picture, oh, sorry, <laughs> the picture on the right on the uh, previous slide, sorry, Alison. Um, I just wanted to draw your attention to that because I had a sense that uh, for some people here today, it might feel like there's a real stark end of one season into another season. And um, on the right... It was um, a path that was really lush, really green. And um, it was a sudden, you can see the line where you step into like a very dry season. And um, I had a sense as well that as, as we think about this subject, there's a, a temptation to think that dry places is barren and um, there's no life. And God couldn't want us in that season. God only has good, happy, green things for us. But there is such a strong theme in the Bible where there are so many characters that are led into the wilderness. And it's a very deliberate um, calling of God into that place where he doesn't feel close. Um, in the next slide, I've got um, ideas that come to mind when I think of wilderness. Um, it's a place without food or water a wasteland. It's a place where um, we might feel separation from God. Um, it can involve confusion, pain, hurt, silence. It could feel like there's a lack of direction, like a wandering around. 
there can be many, many questions and a lot of doubt. So what does it look like to worship in a season like this? In the next slide, I just wanted to point out that, again, in the Bible, bear is not barren. Like, there are so many times where God takes something that is dead or broken or irredeemable in our eyes, and he absolutely transforms it into something beautiful and good. So I just wanted to reinforce that point, that bear is not barren. A season that looks like there's no fruit or leaves, actually, God is still at work. In the next slide, there's a, just a list of people that came to mind in the Bible who have wilderness experiences or wilderness encounters with God. And um, there are many more, but just to help us understand that these seasons are not, not God's will, if you see what I mean. <laughs> and in these seasons, in the next slide, we see that um, God teaches us or teaches those characters very specific things. There are um, ways to understand more fully the character and nature of God, which are only seen in those seasons where we feel a lack of God or our feelings aren't lining up, but actually there's a way that God can only teach us in that special season, the experience of his presence. We see his miraculous provision. We learn to practice obedience in that season. We find comfort. We develop character. It's a space where we can wrestle with God. We learn to trust. It's a place where there's a realignment or a recentering of our lives. I should actually look at my notes. <laughs> As I was thinking about this subject, the question that came to mind when we look at worship in this season, a season of dryness, where are we getting our water from? And the first question um, brings to mind that uh, passage in Jeremiah, where Jeremiah is talking to the, to the Israelites and basically talking about their idolatry. And um, there's this very famous verse which talks about, well, I will read it. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And I just had a sense that so many times, and I am obviously not you, only me, but in those seasons where we feel like uh, it's not as joyful or easy as a previous season, the tendency is to look for water in other places and to dig out for ourselves places where we can find a hit of joy or a hit of peace or um, basically digging out our own systems and that, that image of kind of scooping water with a sieve and trying desperately to feed ourselves in that season. But um, as Nesta unpacked so beautifully for us a few months ago about the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, on the flip side, Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water, this, this water from the well where he was talking to the Samaritan woman, will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. 
And that's that juxtaposition of pictures, of, of broken cisterns, of, of broken places, in my mind, conjures up like stagnant water of where we've tried to dig and just hold it and try and create for ourselves some life. But just that emphasis on the spring of water, there's movement, there's, there's life. And um, yeah, sorry about my child's elephant steps. <laughs> ah, I love it. Um, yeah, and just I love how Becky brought that word as well. I just love it when God ties everything together, just that invitation to drink. The next point, what's important when we're worshipping in this season is um, knowing who we're worshipping. And the next part of the... Um, sorry, go sorry back, Alison. <laughs> sorry. Uh, when Jesus carries on talking to the Samaritan woman, he says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. And this line st- stood out for me, but we worship what we do know. In a season where it's dry and a bit desolate, knowing who we worship is absolutely key. There's an amazing quote by, um, again, books, love them. Uh, There's an amazing quote by um, Dr. John Andrews, that's his name. And I think this just sums it up really beautifully. There are two vital ingredients at the heart of all true worship a revelation of who God is and a response to him on the basis of that revelation. And at this point, (laughs) I, yeah, just that question of how do we know who we're worshipping? What what things can we have in place to know that we have this accurate view of who we're worshipping? And this is where, um, just some tools here. (laughs) The word of God is obviously absolutely key here. There's no shortcut. We have to spend time in his word. But I think it's really important practically to understand that the Bible is a very interesting, complicated book. And actually, we need tools, very practical tools, to know how to read it. There are different genres. There are different histories. There's different people groups. And um, there's different agendas with different books. Like, and in order to kind of properly wrestle and have an accurate understanding of who God is, it's so important that we have tools to read the the Bible. Um, Again, another little shameless book plug. Um, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth is a staple, classic, brilliant book about how to understand the different genres and how Psalms differs to Colossians. And it's um, a really helpful one to have in your toolkit. A good study Bible is also really good. Um, These are just really practical ways so that we can align ourselves with God and have an accurate understanding of who he is. If we have, what's the word, unaccurate, is that a word? Inaccurate, thank you. Oh, wow. If we have an inaccurate understanding of who we are worshipping, it's going to totally affect how we worship. And if we believe that God is a spiteful God, for example, that's going to that's gonna impact how we worship him. And so, um, yeah, I just encourage you. There's some amazing courses out there, a little uh, KST plug. There are many others. But just um, for me, I think it's always fueled my worship, this idea of digging deeper into the word of God. I think there's a, a kind of tendency sometimes to think that um, academic study equals dry I don't know, pharisaical kind of 
root. And actually, for me, it's only ever unlocked new things about God. It's only ever deepened my relationship with him. It's only ever fueled my worship more and brought more color and more depth. But I think the important thing about knowing who we worship and having that strong foundation of our understanding of God is that in these seasons where it's dry and we're not feeling it, then we have something to lean on. We have that solid foundation. And just, again, like Nestor brought in that word of just feeling like we have that foundation that has been made before us of all being brought together. Um, our experience of God. So yes, there's the academic kind of study of God. There's the, the, the reading of his scripture, wrestling with, the, with scripture. But then there's also experience. There's our experience of where that knowledge about God becomes revelation. And it's almost like that image of the head knowledge sinks down into our hearts and suddenly becomes really uh, life-changing. And it just makes us want to recenter our whole lives on that truth. Um, and this is where corporate worship alone, worship on our own, becomes absolutely key as well. Just like, I don't know if you found this morning, but in the, the truths that we were singing about, whatever you're feeling this morning, it just brought such a a depth when we're standing, singing together, singing these truths, reminding ourselves of who God is. Something shifts, doesn't it? It, it feels like, again, I'm saying feeling, but there is a real shift. And I think it's so important to remind ourselves of that. And that is where testimony comes in as well. So many times in the Bible, God tells his people, remember, remember, remember what I've done for you. Remember it, write it on your door frames, write it on your temple, remember what I've done. And we're like, yeah, obviously we will. Obviously we'll remember all of the ways that you've come through and you've answered the prayers and you've and been so faithful, God, obviously. And then we wake up Tuesday morning and it's totally gone. Again, just me. But um, the importance of remembering, and that's, I think, where corporately this can really help as well, to remind each other, tell stories, write things down, just, and that, again, fueling our worship, and in the times where it's hard, being able to lean in and say, no, you did come through for me then, and you will come through for me again. <clears throat> again, stories of faithful men and women of God. I, again, it's a bit of a theme, sucker for a good book, but... Um, testimonies of amazing missionaries I find amazing for my worship life. Um, a real calling up and a, a, a focusing, I think, when I read stories of faithful men and women of God who have dedicated everything to serve God no matter what. And um, yeah, for me, again, that helps in those seasons where I'm not quite feeling it. Thanks, Daniela. <laughs> so next, I think we're going to jump into the power of praise in this season. And I think, um, I don't know about you, when you think of the word praise, I think happy clappy, everything's great with the world. Um, but there's a really great um, quote by an amazing worship leader called Noel Robinson. He is a gospel, like, oh, he's phenomenal. Anyway, there's an amazing quote here. So I'm just going to read it because he says it much better. Praise is a weapon. It's a weapon that God has given us, not to wreak destruction, but to bring breakthrough in difficult times. Because we don't just praise when life is going well and our thanksgiving trips off our tongues with no conscious thought from us. Praise 
can be employed in the darkest of times, reminding us of who God is, declaring the truth of his goodness, no matter what our circumstances, and connecting us to his presence and his power in a life-changing way. It's not about living on cloud cuckoo land where we blithely say, oh, I'm so blessed, and pretend everything is perfect. This is about having joy in the Lord that isn't determined by external factors. So we've had this idea of being filled with the Spirit, having our living water, making sure that is our source, and having a foundation of knowing who we're worshipping. But in those times where the rubber hits the road and it feels desolate and dry, we have a choice. When I was 18, um, I was really involved in youth work and leading stuff and leading worship and was really, really keen, like real keen bean. And um, I, we had literally just done a season of, it was kind of like the history maker season, you know, where it's like, yeah, I'm going to change the world. Whatever God says, I'm going to go. And um, I was like, really like, yes, God has my everything. Um, and we were at a summer conference um, it had been an amazing few days of teaching so far. Um, and we got to the evening meeting one night, and everyone was trundling off to the big top. There was thousands of people. It was amazing. But I was just feeling a bit drained. And so I just had this, like, I'm actually going to stick this one out. So I sat in the tent on my own. Everyone else went off. And I um, picked up my phone and noticed that I had loads of missed calls from my parents. So I thought, oh, weird. So I rang them back. And, um, yeah, they told me that one of my good friends had died and it was a guy that I had done a lot of youth work with and we were really close and um, we had so much silly and jokes and banter um, he had a really broken background but he had been through this insanely amazing journey of recovery and like revelation of who God was and he had had healing and it was just amazing and um, he was just this like life force for the gospel and he, wherever he went he would be telling people about how amazing God was and what he'd done in his life um, and in that moment I was just utterly broken just thought like what like what on earth and it, it just happened that he'd gone back home to see his family just met in with the wrong crowd and he relapsed and took an accidental overdose and uh, it was just that rage I felt in that moment of what like what on earth God you had him he was such an incredible influence like what am I going to tell the youth like this is horrific like and then the anger of losing a friend and the the sadness and the questions of the why if you're good why would you let this happen and I had a good hour of just sobbing and raging at God and just this something in me at that moment rose of thinking um if I've been declaring about how good God is, how he has my everything, and I don't turn this into some kind of worship, then, like, it's meaningless. It doesn't actually mean, mean anything. When the rubber hits the road, what am I going to do? So I picked myself up, and I, like, walked to the back of the big top, and just like God has his little moments, doesn't he? He's amazing. I walked in the back of the big top, just 
hiding at the back, and they started playing a song which Tim Hughes had written, and it is called When the Tears Fall, and the words go, When hope is lost, I'll call you saviour. When pain surrounds, I'll call you healer. When silence falls, you'll be the song in my heart. I will praise you, I will praise you. When the tears fall, still I will sing to you. I will praise you, I will praise you. Through the suffering, still I will sing. And it was just this sense of, even though the questions were still there and the anger was still brewing, I just had such a moment with God in that. Like, the thousands of people in the room, it felt like they just lined up that song for just that moment for me. And it was just, like, the questions suddenly didn't feel in sharp focus it was just I felt so held like suddenly that wasn't the main thing that actually I just in that moment could give that to God and trust to know what I've read about you what have I experienced about you before I can have this moment and I can be held by God and it to be to give him those questions and to trust that he is still good and that he'll still work this for his good and if I'm honest I still don't see that but (laughs) I can still give that to God and I can say that he is good and he is big enough so I think praise is a gift and it's a it's a gift where it brings breakthrough and realigns us and if the band could maybe come up I don't know where Sonia is but um just as a response even if you're not feeling in a season where there's questions and doubt and dry barrenness, I just um, would love us to sing King of Kings together. It's a song that I love. It brings so much truth and depth of, of meaning to the words. And I just had a sense that if we could make that choice this morning and sing these words together... Reminding ourselves of the truth. Being filled again with the Holy Spirit. Not running from the desert, but leaning in and allowing God to do what he wants to do. Our worship facilitates all of the above. It reminds us of who God is. It shifts our perspective. It takes our gaze off our belly buttons and into his face. Worship allows space for his precious Holy Spirit to work and move in us. It brings breakthrough. Worship realigns us. It reminds us that the broken systems that we often jump to drink out of don't satisfy and to come afresh to the source of living water. Above all, our worship brings glory to God, which is what we were designed for. We can choose in a dry season whether to grumble and wander aimlessly looking for the exit or whether to set our eyes on the great comforter, our everlasting father, wonderful counsellor and worship in the middle of the questions to worship in the middle of the doubt to stand on that cracked and dry ground and confess that he is still good he is still faithful and he alone is worthy heavenly father you are so good to us Precious Holy Spirit, as we sing, would you move amongst us? That image of the cup of water, Lord, where there's places that feel dry and hopeless. We just pray that we would take a long drink now as we worship, as we choose to fix our eyes on you.
Come, Holy Spirit. If anyone feels like they need prayer or anything as well, during this song we can pray for you. I'm sure there are people around as well. But yeah, let's just wait on the Holy Spirit together and choose to praise him in the middle of this. <laughs>